Before we dive into today's episode, I've just got some housekeeping. First, I want to thank the people who literally make this podcast possible, our incredible patrons. It blows my mind that there's a group of you out there who make room in your budget each month to support this show. Thank you so much. And as always, a massive shout out to our patron at the Lothal tier, Simon. If anyone would like to join our patron community, you can do so at patreon.com slash outer rim reads. Now for our searcher reading segment. Last episode's discussion question was, Bell Zedifar thinks about the lightsaber as a weapon of last resort, as a tool to maintain peace rather than to injure or kill needlessly. Do you think that philosophy of the Jedi Order changes under the surface by the time of and during the prequels? Why or why not? On Twitter, Connor wrote, Yes. Quote, This weapon is your life. Put the emphasis on the saber over the Jedi. It was only when the prequel trilogy order was virtually destroyed did the remnants figure out the best philosophy, such as, quote, having a lightsaber isn't what makes you a Jedi. I recognize that this is only one example of how the prequel trilogy Jedi differed so much from the High Republic Jedi, but it's fairly fundamental to their philosophy since lightsabers and Jedi are so attached to each other. Thanks so much for that answer, Connor. Instead of another discussion question at the end of the episode, I wanted to remind you all about our Searcher Readings Live over on Instagram Live this Thursday, November 18th at 6pm Eastern. Seeing as we'll be through part one of the book, I'll talk about my thoughts on the novel so far, and I want to open the floor to you and any questions or comments you have to me about your experience listening to the show. So if you want me to answer a question or read a comment, DM them to me on any social media platform or via email to OuterRimReadsPod at gmail.com with the subject line, Search Your Readings Live. It should be a great discussion. I hope to see you all there at 6 p.m. Eastern on Thursday on our Instagram. Now let's get into episode 46 of Outer Rim Reads. Hello there, listeners, and welcome to episode 46 of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through Star Wars novels across the canon. My name is Andrew Geha, and I'm your host along this journey. In today's episode, we will finish up part one of Light of the Jedi, discussing chapters 16 through 18, as well as the interlude before part two, and I'm joined by Drew Brett, co-host of the Clashing Sabres Network flagship podcast. Drew... How is it going? It's going well, Andrew. It's nice to see you. It is. It's, ni- it's nice to see your face before we Aww. get into all this, the sadness that will ensue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. This right. is a happy occasion. It's all sunshine and rainbows, right? There's parties. There's, you know, bar mitzvahs. It's great. <laughs> I, I remember that there was a, a while ago that you had reached out on on Twitter asking if you would be able to come on and talk about some mm-hmm. chapters and I remember that you had specifically requested I don't know if it was all of these ones or specifically 18 but you know you're here you've made it welcome to the big leagues and I guess the end oh, of part wow. one. Oh <laughs> wow this is my graduation day. Brandon's gonna be so proud of me. 
I'll be able to drive my own car home from the party and everything. It's going to be amazing. No, I was excited to uh, uh, get chapter 17, and we'll get to exactly why. If you were doing this page by page, I could give you the exact page number that I was excited to cover, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, I'm, now I'm curious. Maybe I should change the format of the podcast instead of chapter by chapter, page by page. <laughs> right, because this book isn't exactly, uh, I don't know, what is it, 328, 380 pages long? So you'll be here for another year. If you did it on a daily basis, right? On a day, it's just it's it it is I think the longest one that I've covered yet. <laughs> You've got your Patreon stretch goal now. If you get enough people, we can get this page by page. I'm I'm a big fan. Let's make it happen. <laughs> right. I'll go with the uh, with Plagueis. You know, with the the oh dictionary that that was page by page through Plagueis. <laughs> we're we're start we're setting it now. <laughs> Plagueis is a hard one to do, but that's not an easy experience it's like a to go med through. Med school book. <laughs> But before we even get into the chapters that we've got uh, on the on the books for today, for the listeners, could you tell them a bit about your background with the Star Wars fandom, how you emerged into this fantastic universe that we will be chatting about uh, today? Sure, um, I'll do my best, and I'll try and do it in under 60 minutes so that we have some book time so we can talk about. I remember the first time watching the classic trilogy on... USA, I think, was the channel it was on. It was my dad would record them on VHS. Um, I remember that A New Hope was on a Thursday night, so we couldn't stay up late enough to actually finish the movie. So I remember the first hour of it before we had to go to bed, but the second one was on Friday night, and we could actually watch the entirety of Empire Strikes Back. And being like five, six, seven years old, never having seen a movie like that before, it was instantly my favorite movie, and it remains one of my top movies of all time. Uh, so started the obsession very young, but it really grew and developed as I read a lot of the Legends books in, or what would come to be called Legends books in middle school. Uh, it was the way I kind of got introduced into reading and hooked onto those and fell in love with the public library, which would usually have a copy of whatever was newly released. The New Jedi Order series was a great spot that I started reading very, very um, specifically and on purpose. Make sure that I got the books as soon as I could figure out when they were available, which was tough to do in a pre-internet age. So that was kind of the the bulk of how I kind of evolved and, and invested into these things. Watched the movies, of course, as they came out. You know, watched the prequel trilogy when they were all first in the theaters and the special editions when they were out, which was great and a lot of exciting adventures around that. I was a big fan of the customizable card game that Decipher put out in the late 90s and early aughts. Such a great game. I think I've played two games in my entire life, so I've never had anybody to play with. So I would just collect the cards and read the lore and, and learn who these guys are and try and memorize who all the different players in the Cantina band were. Uh, you know, again, a very lonely childhood. There's a lot of cards and a lot of books. Anyway, so... Clone Wars came, was not interested in that when it was coming out and just kind of skipped by it. The Disney purchase uh, occurs in 2012 or so, and things start to get a little bit more interesting. And actually, I started listening to another Star Wars podcast, if we can give a shout out to Star Wars Minute which they go through the movies one minute at a time, five days a oh, week. Nice. So <laughs> not terribly dissimilar from your format. And if you guys haven't listened to Star Wars Minute, highly recommend. I started listening to them. They had a Facebook group and I joined and I saw this guy post a link to an article that he had written and he said hey i'm at this website and we just celebrated our one year anniversary come check us out i said all right i have nothing to do for the next 15 minutes let's see what this is about and it took me to clashingsabers.net and the guy who posted it was brandon boylan he's been working on that site for a year he was writing things and trying to get some attention to it 
and and I loved it. I thought it was great. And and I, I sent him a message said, "Hey, this has been a lot of fun to read. Let me know if you ever want to, you know, a, a couple other opinions, and we could put something together." And he was like, "Absolutely. Uh, what what do you want to do? What do you want to write about? This would be great. This would be so much fun." I said, "All right, it's a little bit weird, but sure." He was very excited. <laughs> So uh, he and I worked together along with a couple other people. We would write articles, which are still available up at ClashingSabers.net. But one day we were like, you know what? We should actually talk to each other and see what this is like. And so we started recording a podcast, uh, which you can find at the same website. More people came in. There's, there's additional shows on the network. Forever Star Wars is hosted by Mark Marquis. He's a great guy. There's a couple other things. We do book reviews. But the flagship show is kind of what we're, we're most proud of. At least I'm, I'm most proud of. We've been able to turn Clashing Sabers into a nonprofit organization. So it's a 501c3, so our Patreon is 100% donation. Every dollar that people sign up and give over the month uh, goes straight into a fund. And uh, about four times a year, we'll go and buy out all the used books, all the used Star Wars books from stores. And we actually donate them to teachers across the, class, or across the country. So when people give us money, 100% of that goes to buying books and getting them in the hands of kids who need something to read. Wow. So that's been a really exciting mission for us. We've been able to raise, you know, the first year we did it, we raised a couple hundred dollars. The second year we did it, we raised almost $2,000 just straight off of like uh, raffle tickets and giveaways. We've got, we've had authors come and sign things for us. We've had Harrison Dula's voice actress came onto the show, wrote, signed a bunch of pictures and stuff, and we've been able to give those away. So it's it's been such a great adventure talking to those guys. We all have very different opinions about things and Part of the fun of Clashing Sabers is not only having differing opinions, but being willing to hold them accountable to it. Be like, I don't understand. I need you to explain. And then allowing them to do the same. Because it's one thing when you enjoy a thing or don't enjoy a thing, but when you're forced to defend that opinion in a very friendly and you know engaging manner with people who you can know and trust, it becomes a whole lot more exciting. Yeah. So that's kind of uh, where I am now. Brandon forced me onto Twitter, and then I found you guys, and I was like, oh, Chapter 17 contains one of my favorite passages in all of written Star Wars, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this thing a shot. Now I'm very interested to see what that passage will be. <laughs> I, I'm, I would think if you can find the passage, and you think you can find it, let me know, and we'll see if you're right. Yeah. Play, a little, <laughs> play along at home, too, friends. Yeah, right. <laughs> Try to find out what is the best line or passage in, in the history of the, the written Star Wars annals. <laughs> read a lot of these books before, but there's one paragraph that just kind of stopped me dead in my tracks. Ooh, I think, I think for me, that might have been the line from Master and Apprentice when Qui- the Qui-Gon goes on his... his uh, little monologue about how you know he chooses the light because it is because the light. Because it is um, the light. Yeah, that's a really good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Claudia Gray knows what she's ears, doing. Ears, exactly, she does. Uh, from what I hear as well in the higher public, <laughs> maybe she also knows how to tug at the heartstrings and play with the emotions just as Charles Soule does in this one. But <laughs> but speaking of Charles Soule and Light of the Jedi, how did you get into this book uh, specifically? Well, I knew that this was going to be a long project. You know, obviously, this is going to be a multi-year, multimedia kind of presentation. Something that Star Wars hasn't really done for a long time, I think. I think the closest thing was the New Jedi Order. 19 books in a row is a long way to go. They had a, you know half a dozen different authors, and I really enjoyed that. It's got its detractors, but I will defend that one myself. <laughs> I really liked that, and I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot. I would like to go ahead and invest the time and say, I'm going to try and keep up with this as much as I can. 
and try and really focus on this because the other books that come at, have been coming out have been fine by and large. There are some really strong entries and there have been some that I have no real need to ever pick up or touch or think about again. So I've been trying to keep up with the novels. The comics have been hard to keep up with. I've kind of resigned myself to just coming up when, when they release the omnibus editions, where they collect like six, seven issues together. That's something I can get and I can actually actually read those. Yeah, it's hard enough sometimes keeping up with all of the books, you know, because those are so many, but then also the comics are very much uh, a plenty. So there's there's a lot to keep track of. So you, know, you pick your battles. You burn through comics so fast that if I was going to wait a month in between comic issues, I would have no idea what I was actually picking up on. Like, you're doing this thing, like two, three chapters every two weeks. I would have no idea what happened the week before. So I don't know. You must be taking very good notes or you're, you're acting very, very convincing at least. You're right. <laughs> Which one is it? It will never know. <laughs> Confidence is 90% of the game and I think you're doing all right. Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I'll try not to lose my confidence as, uh, or I guess my confidence in the good of the galaxy as we move on through the chapters that we've got today. Um, <laughs> some Some good ones, especially closing out part one, which has been... If there's a roller coaster ride in Star Wars, it probably would would be just the first 18 chapters of this book. But, you know, uh, <laughs> so I can give my summary for chapter 16 and then we can talk about the rescue mission aboard this solar array. Let's do it. As the search and rescue mission aboard the burning solar array continues, Captain Bright and his pill droid escort a seventh survivor back to the Aurora 9. As the station becomes more unstable, Petty Officer Inamin informs the captain that the array can't be saved and that he must input a manual sequence to buy them time to escape before the main reactor explodes. Bright and the pill droid rendezvous with Inamin, and the Petty Officer shows them the sequence needed to inject coolant into the reactor. Captain Bright sends Inamin back to the ship and is about to leave the droid to input the sequence when he senses another survivor nearby. Realizing he can't lift the unconscious survivor on his own, Bright instructs the pill droid to save the crew member and takes the droid's place at the reactor, sacrificing himself so that the others could escape. Aww. I knew that there was going to be some kind of catch in this oh, rescue yeah. mission. You know, There has been plenty of catches so far in these chapters, but before we even you know, talk about the details. What did you think about chapter 16? Well, I had to remember what was going on. This particular through line in the story has been going for a while where they kind of give you bits and pieces and it felt kind of like a movie script where you turn the page and something goes wrong until you turn the page and something goes wrong and it just kind of continually builds and builds until you get to the point where you're like, all right, clearly no one's making it out of this one alive, right? Like this is like a given. We know that they're all going to burn. But I think the main thrust of this whole sequence and the number of chapters that the, it, it appears in is to really drill home on that kind of, I don't know if patriotism is the right word, but if there's a galactic sense of patriotism, that's what this is supposed to show us. You know, that they keep going back to, we are all the Republic. We are all the Republic. And as a matter of fact, the, the chapter closes out with, with, we are all the, and then heat and light and nothing more. It's like, whoa, okay, well, that's comforting i suppose so it was a little bit i don't know if heavy-handed is the right term but i feel like it's being drilled home so strong that two things occur one we as readers 
should know that something is wrong, right? Because they don't hang this much stuff on the walls for you to not look at it and be like, what are we covering up, right? So I think that it's being telegraphed very loudly that while there are certain elements of the, the galaxy which have indeed bought into we are all the Republic and, and are gung-ho about it, which is great and fine, the obvious question is, well, who isn't, right? Mm. Um, we're going to yeah. meet some of those folk in, in, in just a moment, I'm sure. But the second thing that came up, and this is something I think has been mentioned earlier on with other guests of yours, then, and it really kind of links back to earlier in the book when they're describing, I think it's the Jedi cruiser. It's described somewhere as long it was designed as if money was no issue, right? And usually the folks for whom money is no issue is the folks for whom money's really no issue. And it kind of divides that line between those who money's not an issue. And again, the obvious inference is that there's a portion of the galaxy for which money still really is the issue. And I have a hard time with this because is I haven't quite nailed down by this point in the book whether or not this is something the author clearly wants us to think about and say, here's all the people who are bright and shining stars, basically, and who, you know, we truly are all the Republic and money's no issue for us and everything's going great. Golden Age, Camelot, blah, 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 blah. But all of that is built on the backs of who? You know, we have questions about refugees earlier in the book. We, we know that slavery exists in the system. So clearly we know that the idea of we are all the Republic is not all pervasive. It might be doing a better job than it ever has before in galactic history, sure. But to hold ourselves out as we... 100% are complete agreement in existence, all meaning totally everybody, the Republic, seems more prescriptive instead of descriptive. Like, it's a, it's a, a goal. It's a lofty goal that we are attempting to achieve rather than something that describes who we are today. So yeah. there's still a lot of work that has to be done to truly make all of us slash the, the, the characters in the book the Republic. But I think we're getting there. And I think that's what the authors in this, the, the author in this book, Charles Soule, particularly wants us to think about is I'm giving you all these people who are, are at the height of their patriotism, but we need to start thinking about the people underneath who are not. I think there was, uh, I think there's some really great points in that it picked up on a, on that a few times throughout where, uh, and I think it had been mentioned on a previous episode, you know, it's the golden age of the Republic, but golden age for who for who exactly exactly and i think there it might have been in chapter 17 at the end when you know they're reveling in in in, i guess at the end of chapter 17 i'm not going to get there until we get there but it does give (laughs) you're the only person who doesn't know what happens (laughs) exactly (laughs) but it did mention i think that there are that there were people who wanted the jedi to fail and it's thrown in there but i think building on on what you we're talking about that there's could be kind of the seeds that Charles soul might be planting where it's like, okay, here's everyone who is doing great and, and stands for this, you know, golden age, you know, we are all the Republic, but we're starting to get introduced to the other side of the coin, which I hope that it will be expanded upon further, you know, as, as the book progresses. But I did kind of get the hint, you know, even in chapter one, where these settlers are looking for new opportunities and new beginnings right. outside of the Republic, you know, into the outer rim, I guess still the Republic, but, you know, into the outer rim. So what's not working for them back home? And, exactly. And why is that? So. And the outer rim historically getting forgotten by the governments in charge from the seats of power in Coruscant. So we know that's already an established pattern. So it's just kind of a matter of catching up. Like, we know this stuff is problematic. We know that there are issues as 
readers and observers, do the characters know that yet? Like, do the Jedi live in their ivory towers and whatnot and their floating space stations? And are they aware of what's going on the ground? And, and do we have any evidence of that yet? Yeah. Stay and, tuned. Yeah, I guess we, we shall see. Some of us already <laughs> know the answers to these yeah, questions. Exactly. But, hey, that's all right. I shall see. <laughs> you know, the chapter does begin where, you know, they've got the seventh survivor. They think this is everyone, but, uh, you know, they do get the bad news from Inamin, who is... He pretty much says that the station is lost. It's just a matter about when and if we can escape in time, uh, which, you know, reading that, I was thinking, okay, you know, probably the, the young guy, the the enthusiastic, you know, we are all the Republic. That was a, man, a mantra that Inamin was repeating often himself, especially I thought, okay, this is when the young enthusiastic one dies and sacrifices himself. Uh, you know, thankfully not, but at, at the cost of, of Bright. I did want to, to note that the seventh survivor that they're carrying back to the ship is noted to be an Anzelin, which I googled, and it's the same species as Babu Frick, which I thought was oh. uh, <laughs> which was pretty cool, <laughs> which makes sense when Ensign Peoples is like, oh, who's the cute baby? And starts like, you know, cooing. And, oh, I'd forgotten uh, <laughs> about that. Oh, you're not wrong. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so Babu Frick is in the High Republic. Confirmed. Jeez. <laughs> I did like this glorious moment from the droid when they're loading this other survivor onto the ship, and then there's this blast of fire as the station, which is very unstable. It's kind of collapsing moment by moment, or the reactor is becoming less stable by the second. This blast of flame just shoots down the hallway and is about to engulf them all, but the pill droid, which had kind of been moving you know, casually just at its own pace throughout, just like calls to action and just like shoots out in front of Captain Bright in between them and the flames and like I think uses a like pretty much a fire hose to to suppress the flames in some way shape or form it shields them from the the fire just which pretty neat. I loved I was like I love this little pill droid it's I, I don't know what it looks like you know probably a pill with with arms but it's kind of a combination of like Eva from Wally and 21B from ah. you know, the medical frigate so you gotta, yeah, you just gotta like imagine the, the take care, sir attitude on top yeah. of Eva. That's what I was, at least that's what I'm imagining from the whole thing. I like that. I like that. <laughs> I like this pill droid. It's a shame it dies. Oh, I does it make sur- it back to the ship? It makes no, it back no, to the it ship. Makes okay. it ba- okay. Yeah, no, yep. don't take this from me. There's been enough taken from me. <laughs> Listen, not an accidental spoiler, just me forgetting what happened in the chapter. That's all. <laughs> As Inamin is trying to tell Bright, you know, hey, you, I'll stay here and input this manual sequence. You go. Bright is thankfully having none of that. And they go to the petty officer and and basically they are they begin to teach the pill droid the sequence. So the droid can take Inamin's place, which I thought, you know, after it just saved all of you, you're just gonna sacrifice it like that. Just like, oh yeah, the droid'll do it, you know, it's which L three is job. I mean, come L3 on, is don't cringing. take that away. L3 is oh, cringing. Come on, no. <laughs> no, there's strong rogue one vibes in here too, of like that last battle on Scarif where like we just have to get to the the console. Oh no, now we have to plug into something like the master switch. Now you have to flip the master switch. Now you gotta walk across the battlefield to sw- flip the switch. So it's kind of like like we were talking about before, one building on top of another. It's like all these obstacles that keep getting thrown in the way. It's like, can you not just get it's a it's a bomb. The ship's gonna blow up. Yep. Get off the ship, all right? Babu Frick will be fine. He won't be fine. But you've got to get off the ship. That would be the idea if it were so easy. You know, I, I did think that it was almost too good to be true when Bright, you know, he leaves the pill droid there and he's like, all right, thanks for your service, pal. You know, and he starts to run away. And then the the blessing and the curse, you know, he I guess it's a blessing. He does sense this other survivor, which I don't know if I just have trust issues with Charles Soule now, but the fact that 
There were like seven registered crew members, as far as they were aware. And then there's this mysterious eighth. I don't know. I just like, part of me is a little bit skeptical. Like, who is this Twi'lek that he finds that, you know, everyone had kind of missed? You know, and I, I just, know. with there's like, you know, with who is Prisoner 67 or whatever that is from Shutter Island. It's like, who is this Twi'lek and what is he doing? You know, where no one was aware of him, but... Uh, Captain Bright tries to lift the Twi'lek and uh, with a dead weight, it's too heavy. And that's where he makes the decision that he will stay back, you know, taking the pill droid's place uh, at the reactor. And I thought I was really impressed with this moment with Bright where there's a split second where he thinks about his life, you know, kind of life flashing before his eyes. You know, not he's not dying yet, but he thinks about his life and his service to the Republic and, quote, his own oaths to serve it and all its people. And I just have to have some massive respect for him here, where he, in this moment, literally serves, like, you know, every last one, even if it's this, you know, he no one knows that this Twi'lek is there. It, he could have just left him and, like, all right, we got everyone, I'll escape, but where he knows that it's his duty to save everyone that he can. I was I was really impressed with that, his devotion to the Republic and to its people it spoke it spoke a lot here yeah no absolutely it, it, it's definitely kind of the model morality that star wars has been good at that pure good versus pure evil it's kind of in the dna of these stories so it's good to see that that continues that trend continues here and again like we've mentioned before that's kind of the high devotion of the patriotism in the high republic like there are these true believers and that's good, but if, if again, if Star Wars has taught us anything, for every true believer we have, we kind of have the antithesis of that as well. I don't know if I want to find the the anti Captain Bright. Uh, <laughs> it's Captain Dark. It's not very yeah. clever. Okay. <laughs> Why didn't that, that you Vice picked Admiral that up? I, I, was, Dark. <laughs> I should I should have seen that. Yeah, <laughs> Vice Admiral Dark. <laughs> you know, Bright comes back to the ship, tells them, "Hey." You know, this is how it's going to be. Don't argue because Inamin <laughs> tries to put up a fight. You know, otherwise I'll have you court-martialed, which they all know that, you know, in this moment, it doesn't mean anything. And so, you know, as you had mentioned at the top of the chapter, how, you know, it ends with them saying, you know, we are all the Republic, you know, again, repeating that. Because I think most every time that we've heard that phrase, it has been in this through line in this kind of section of the story so far. And so that is how the chapter ends where, you know, Inamin repeats the mantra and Captain Bright begins to do so. And then, you know, as he is inputting the sequence, the reactor is beyond saving and yeah, it blows up and Captain Bright sacrifices himself. The others do get away. So the pill droid and, and everyone, Babu Frick, they're all, they're all alive so far, but to the that best of our knowledge, yeah. at the end of chapter <laughs> yeah. 16, they are cruising off into the sunset, very Armageddon style, with Bruce Willis left behind on the asteroid to die. Bruce Willis, no! Not Bruce Willis. <laughs> you should have left Ben Affleck, you jerk. I need him. <laughs> that is how the chapter ends with Bruce Willis and Captain Bright uh, sacrificed. And again, it was kind of like you had mentioned and, and how I kind of expected there had to be a catch. It was kind of, in some ways, a little bit predictable that someone was not going to make it out, sure. if anyone. Sure, It still hits hard. It still hits hard. You know, there's been so much death, and then to see another one who is really devoted to his crew and to the cause, I will mourn Captain Bright. That's how Chapter 16 ends. You know, we've got your favorite, Chapter 17, up next, uh, which I'll be very interested to hear, to hear your thoughts as we progress through it, but... I'll give my my summary for chapter 17 and 
then we can dive into the chapter that you wanted to talk about all along. Let's do it. On Hetzel Prime, Avar Chris sends Admiral Krenara and the Third Horizon, filled with refugees, away from the planet to safety as they have ordered a full system evacuation. Remaining planet side, Chris knows that she and the Jedi in the system must divert the massive Tabana container heading straight for one of the system's suns, otherwise the entirety of Hetzal would be obliterated. As each Jedi connects to each other through the Force, they attempt to use their combined strength to shift the container's path. The strain of the endeavor grows as many Jedi succumb to the immense effort needed to move the object. As one Jedi after another falls to the task, the pressure on those remaining grows greater. Finally, with the help of Jedi across the galaxy through the Force, they are able to divert the Tabana container. At long last, the Hetzal system is saved. I'm not gonna lie, this was as cinematic, I think, mm -hmm. of a chapter as it has been so far, as it's gotten so far, I really felt my heart racing, and especially with some devices that Soul used in, in writing it, which I'll touch on a, a little bit later. But, you know, coming into Chapter 17, where the stakes really could not be higher, uh, what were your thoughts on what goes down here? So let's talk about St. Avar Chris for a little bit, <laughs> because... Everything she does is perfect. From the moment we meet her in this book, I knew I was going to love this character, and it only continued to grow, uh, this love affair I have with the fictional character here. And so her first kind of, uh, the first scene in this chapter, as it were, where she's kind of arguing with the captain. To, uh, the captain says, you got to come with us. We got to get off the planet. You got to get off the planet. It's going to blow up. It's going to be bad. And you're n it's not going to go good for you. And she literally just at a certain point in the conversation stops, turns, and walks away. She says, at a certain point, there's just no good talking to these people anymore. I was like, you know what? She's so right. And I love the, the confidence of who she knows that she is and what she can do and and her position within the force is so steadfast and so secure that she doesn't really even have to explain herself and she has the nerve to to kind of just be like all right this isn't working i'm staying and there's literally nothing you can do about it i i just that's the first thing in this particular chapter that that i absolutely adored I need you to pick what page you think the most important paragraph in this chapter is on. We're going to talk about the most important paragraph here and why this is the best chapter of this book. And we're going to talk about why it's the most important chapter in written Star Wars. Because I know which one I like the best. Well, let's but... <laughs> start with that. Why don't we, you said you were going to save that for later, but perhaps later is now. Now, has, when has yeah. become now? So <laughs> share with us your paragraph and let's see if they match. I have been impressed so far in the book with the different ways that soul has described the experience of the force to dif two different Jedi. So I'm, you know, when Chris is, is describing how the force is a song to her and it kind of goes through all of these Jedi where, you know, to Elzar Man, it's, you know, a deep kind of like a storm tossed sea, uh, you know, and to, to Buriaga, it's a, a single leaf on a on a, gigantic tree with deep dug roots and sky high limbs and uh you know there's other jedi who see it as you know a, a interlocked gears and you know endless variety of you know forms and crystals and 
with Belzedifar, as we as we've heard in the previous chapter, it's a fire to him and to Loden, it's the wind, and so I that's the one I liked the best. You have hit the nail list. directly on the head. We are talking about the last paragraph on page one oh six of chapter seventeen. So turn in your hymnals to page one oh six and let's talk about why this is important. This is the most important paragraph in the book. This is the most important paragraph that talks about the Force. This is the most uh, important description of the Force we have since The Last Jedi. And probably outside of, those, outside of that film, there's nothing else that comes close to this. And, let's talk, and uh, let me tell you why. Sit back and enjoy yourself for a minute. I am a deeply musical person, right? So uh, let's see. I've been playing a number of instruments for close to 30-something years now. So... When we first meet Avar Kristen, she's introduced to us as a person who hears the song of the Force, right? And she gathers up the, the other Jedi flying out in their vectors in order to form the great symphony and whatnot. Like, that spoke to me at a very personal level, which was great. But this paragraph does something a little bit different. Not only does it explain to us how Avar Kristen experiences the Force, but it also gives us examples of how other Jedi experience the exact same force. There are subtle differences in between the ways in which they do, and I think each of them have implications that are important to note. And the main thing that stands out to me, among so many things that are that are so interesting in all of these, because each one of them is very character-driven and whatnot, Elzar Mans is very important. It's used later on in the chapter. But the understanding of how the force works is very particular to each of them. They all relate to it slightly differently, and it speaks to how they view specifically the dark side to me. Because if you think about the way Avar relates to the Force as music, as symphony, as a participatory event, something you need other people to engage with you in in order to create something greater than what you are capable of all on your own. Now, music you can do on your own. You can do it in a group. Avar sees the Force the exact same way. But think about how when she experiences the light side of the force, it's all the Jedi working together in concert. And if we think about it in musical terms, everyone's in, in perfect tune. Everyone's on perfect rhythm and tempo. There's no one out of step. Everyone has their parts well played and memorized and rehearsed. And it's flawless the way it should be. That is what the balance of the force looks like. And so the dark side is one player slightly out of tune, slightly off rhythm, who doesn't have their part quite nailed down and doesn't have the confidence to hit the high notes with the, the strength that they really need to. So the dark side to her, according to the way in which she experiences the Force, is any slight flaw in that perfect light. Think about like, you know, you, when you're doing Master and Apprentice and Qui-Gon talks about he follows the light simply because it is the light. And to impact that light in a, with any kind of darkness is to take the pure and create an impurity. And that impurity poisons the whole thing. It is no longer 100% light. It is something less than that. But compare that to the way Elzar Mann sees the Force. He sees it as an ocean. And later on in the chapter, he thinks about it as light on the top and the darkness is deeper below. And the implication there is the further down you dive into the ocean of the Force, you will encounter the dark side. But it is always there. And the idea here is of balance is between an equal amount of light and dark, and that is dangerous. That is not what the Jedi should be striving for, and yet here it is in somebody who is in a leadership position in a, in a high-ranking official who thinks that the idea of balance in the Force is equal parts light and dark. That does not work. 
with St. Avar Chris's understanding of how the Force works. And that's an interesting concept because one of the things we struggle with as, I hate the word fandom, but as people who enjoy Star Wars content, right, is how we understand the Force, too. We as a collective, and this is going to be a generalization, and well, we're going to have to deal with it because I'm part of it, too. We are hyper-analytical. Some of us read books three chapters every two weeks in, in order to, to get their analysis in it. We've done, you know, on Clashing Sabers, we've done these hyper-specific comparisons between the way, you know, the cosmic force versus the living force. And, and you know, we had flow charts and what means what and how does it work out. But sometimes we need to stop and look at the bigger picture of things and, and, and stop missing the forest for all of the trees that we love to dig into. Like, it's very easy to take one paragraph like this and dissect it. And, and look at each of the intricacies. But I think it's super important for us to understand that this has implications outside of just this book. If we think about how The Last Jedi explains the Force, life and death. Death is not the dark side. Life is not the light side. But both of those things combined are the Force, which is interesting to us have grown up in the video game version of Star Wars where the Force is uh, an ability tree where the longer we play, the stronger we get, the more Force landing we can shoot out and the more Stormtroopers we can throw off cliffs. Like, it's not a power level thing like that. It is this idea of where balance really means the absence and complete absence of darkness. For the darkness allows no other master but itself. It is a cancer that takes hold of a host and spreads and kills. That's the death that is bad. You know, death is a natural part of light. That is a, a light side aspect of the force where one passes away and and you know as we have seen our jedi heroes do pass into the force itself so death itself is not a dark side aspect but the dark side contains such a different aspect of death where it seeks to inflict it upon somebody else so this paragraph really knocked me out it's amazing and i love that you were able to pick out the exact same thing because it tells me i'm not the only one who thought this was important and and in each of the characters that it picks out, you know, it says the Wookiee Buriaga was a single leaf on a gigantic tree with deep dug roots and sky high limbs. I mean, think about how what a leaf, you know, how it plugs into the tree. It receives its its strength, its life from the sun, and it brings that into the host plant and it spreads that light throughout. And that's how Buriaga sees himself within the forest. Like that's that's beautiful. Bell's that a far I worry about. <laughs> I mean, I'm a pretty clumsy guy. <laughs> dancing so with dancing fire. <laughs> with fire makes me nervous. But when you look at even Loden Greatstorm danced with the wind, so you can see where Bell gets it from. Wind and fire, similar things, like equal parts naturally occurring, but also, you know, fire is definitely something that can be controlled and contained. Uh, wind, certainly necessary for life, but also can be very dangerous. You know, hurricanes and tornadoes when it's out of control. I think there's an interesting difference between how the Padawan embraces the fire aspect where Loden embraces the wind aspect. I think there's a sense of maturity there being demonstrated and how the master is, is hoping maybe to calm down some of the more fiery aspects of Bell's uh, force activities, we'll say. What's kind of your read on that paragraph? What do you want to take out of that one specifically as well? Just because you were talking about Bell and, and Loden, I, do, uh, I did notice how to both of them it is a dance with something the you know the force is this dance that they are engaged in which i which i think is is very beautiful i don't know i think 
seeing the different manifestations of the Force to these different Jedi taking all of these different forms, particularly natural forms, forms of nature and, you know, and with music and gears, which I guess, you know, are also made of the, you know, physical world. I think it, it kind well, of... Sure. It's a, a measurement of time and progression yeah. of, of rhythm and pattern of, of sequencing like that, I think, has a natural sense. Of, so that when we're talking about gears, it's not necessarily just the mechanical aspect of it. Yeah, I think just all those different forms, it kind of spoke to me of the living force through everything that can be encountered in the world, whether that's through the ocean or the fire or the wind that you feel or the time that one experiences, it's the, the force is in it all. That spoke to me through, through this paragraph. Yeah, a, a testament to how present the force is in everything. It's just a, a manner of how people see it or experience it, but it is there uh, regardless. And the fact that each of them experiences the Force in a different manner is interesting and how the Force allows for relationships to uh, to blossom with each of its, its partners there, really, in different ways and how there's room for that within the Jedi Order. Uh, it's, it's amazing that for the Jedi Order to allow such a I think it's a wide variety of relationship tactics, really, if we compare it to, you know, I, I don't know about you, I come from a very religious background, and so in the church, you know, sometimes we can we can view our religious creators in certain ways, and sometimes people will want to impose and say, hey, you need to think about this and maintain this relationship always, but there's room for a, a differing opinions, or not, not opinions, isn't that the right word, but different relationship levels and we progress through things we age through things we learn better we progress to learn more tomorrow than we knew yesterday and i feel like that's something that can be demonstrated in this paragraph as well you know we know that avar chris and elzar man have a have a history um, we know that they grew up together in the temple and so they in theory should be more closely aligned than say they would be with their with other masters within the order right because they they grew up at the same time and experienced things in the same kind of rhythm and pattern and likely had the same teachers so they should have very similar understandings of how the force works and how they individually relate to it that ain't the case it's just not and i think that's fascinating that it's not that there is room for that. You know, it's kind of the way, and again, in The Last Jedi, the way Luke is talking to Rey in the only language he knows. You know, it's an energy field that binds and connects us and, and, and everything. And Rey's like, yeah, but what is it? Like, she's, she doesn't get it. Luke needs to broaden his vocabulary to really speak to her in a different way. And so he's like, all right, give me your hand and put it on this rock and let's see what it feels like. So he understands that she has to have a different relationship with the force than he does. Cause they're just not at the same place. So it's, it's, it's very encouraging to see how they're allowed to develop, but it's also a warning shot because I think if we sit and look at some of these, you can see kind of the red flags pop out again. The fire one, is kind of naturally dangerous because I think that there's there's an impulsiveness in Bell's relationship with the Force as dictated by this chapter, right? And some of the things we've seen him do before. Like, we've seen Loden Greatstorm do some wild and crazy things, and Bell goes, I, mm, nope, nope, you're on your own, friend. So there's got to be something in there that, that conflicts with his f literally fiery, fiery relationship with the Force. So that's that's kind of an interesting character thing that they're going to put on the shelf for a little bit. Buriaga, who we see 
we've seen a bit of by this point in the book, right? You know, we've kind of seen him a little bit interacting with other people. And so that kind of fits his character. I think that was, if we're honest with ourselves, it's a little bit, a bit of an easy shot since he's a Wookiee. We yep. know that the trees in Kashyyyk <laughs> are probably huge. And so we're kind of like, it's easy to plug him into that. But it's it's true to the character. It maintains the history of what we know. So that's nice. It's not like Charles Soule says, oh, Wookiees, they come from a planet full of sand and red skies or something weird. I don't know. You know, it's kind of establishing what we already know again solidifying those things so through that it's still avar chris's story at this point right she is the one gathering all the chicks like a mother hen and saying we have this task and then she starts to listen for that song and this is it's just no other jedi has this at this point in the story like we've seen this kind of multi-mind connection maybe once or twice before in canon history. Like, we've seen it in the original Thrawn trilogy back in the Legends days. Um, there's implications that Palpatine would do this at the Battle of Endor, where he would just kind of, not necessarily mind control, but this battle meditation concept where all the, the officers are of one mind. And so when Palpatine falls and is no longer there to guide them, the whole Imperial Navy falls apart. That's kind of the implication we get. She has the good version of this where they work together as a team, but with her confidence, they say, we have to move it. We will move it. And then the Jedi start to fall, which is an interesting concept because we've all been taught that it's more than lifting rocks, but that's a pretty important rock. They got to lift out the way. (laughs) So the consistency in how Avar's relationship with the force is so different from everybody else's. Her skill set is so different from everybody else's and the way she does it in a musical sensation and the way that Soul uses musical terminology. Hats off to Charles Soul for chapter 17, because I think the more we come to grips with the terms of specifically that one paragraph on 106 to 107, and the way in which we understand the Force changes the way we relate to these Jedi, not just the ones in this chapter, but the ones in chapters to come, in books to come, and, and things we've read and seen years before. That's uh, beautifully said. I don't know if I can top that. It's, it, I will be interested to see because i know you had mentioned and we've read that avar and elzar man have you know they they are friends they have a history together and um now that you've brought up kind of that detail of the darkness in man's perception of the force which i hadn't initially picked up on so i'm glad that you had mentioned that i wonder if they're if there will be some kind of clash between their philosophies of the force down the line. Um, so I've, I've got to wonder, <laughs> but yeah, no. So the, the, I guess the most of this chapter really is the struggle of the Jedi to, or I guess kind of when they all kind of come together through the force with Avar kind of summoning them and, you know, she does offer them an out, but they all stay, they know what they have to do. No one, yeah. no one leaves, which How I How cool is that? It's <laughs> that like, really got me going. <laughs> yeah, it's like the scene in the movie where they say, you know, anyone who wants to volunteer for this mission, step forward, and the whole line steps forward. Like, it's just the one camera shot of their feet, and they all move up a step. It's pretty yeah, neat. That was this kind of moment here, which, which was really great. But yeah, it was, I guess most of the chapter was kind of their struggle to divert this object. And I did uh, notice where, you know, Avar is kind of, you know, thinking of... You know what they are doing with the force, the the difficulty of it, but the fact that they are all coming together to do this. So we get this quote: "All of the Jedi were the force, and the force was all of them." And that was very reminiscent, I think, maybe intentionally so, of Chirut's uh, line from Rogue One: "I am one with the force, and the force is with me." 
you know, not just that the Force was with the Jedi, but the Force was the Jedi. Which... Yeah, there's a very particular differentiation there. It's, it's the difference between the partnership and the full joining together, where, again, Bell and Loden see it as a, as a dance, a person with a partner. Uh, but Avar doesn't see it that way. Avar sees it as a full, in, not indoctrination, but a full um, absorption where it's it's a melting pot where they have all come together and not necessarily lost their own identities because as we see, some of them can't hold up to the task. Some of them just are distracted by other things. There's a mention of like, three of the vector pilots who lose concentration and cannot keep their close proximity to one another and end up crashing. Like that's tragic loss. And yet the work continues. And in fact, it's harder for those who remain because now they don't have enough shoulders to bear the burden. Like that's an interesting concept. So I love the Rogue One connection, but that difference is, is small, but, but Boy, I there. really <laughs> wonder. Yeah, exactly. And it, it and it makes you ask the question, why? Like, there's something happened to the Jedi Order between this and Rogue One where the, the teaching and the focus wasn't necessarily we are the Force. You know, the Force flows through, through us and we are this way. But now we are with the Force and the Force is with me. Like, where's that differentiation come from? And, and, and what does it take to push a, a semi-religious organization to make that kind of a, a doctrinal change, honestly. So that seems kind of kind of significant, uh, but that would be... It does. Yeah. It's really sad when it's like two-word differences is like going to really change the fundamental operations yeah. of this whole system. But it's, it is a very good point, and I do wonder how that will change, along with so much else, you know, because there's a lot that's going to change with the Jedi, uh, obviously, uh, by the time we reach the prequels. I do... I guess I have a question for you um there was this moment where she was reaching out with the force this was when they were trying to locate this object kind of in their meditation or however is described what they're what they're doing with the force but they're trying to locate it in order to kind of grab it with the force to, to push it with the force and you know chris finds it for a second but then loses it after a moment you know her concentration is somewhat broken and I thought it was interesting that maybe there was a hint of some arrogance where she was thinking that she had to find, quote, she had to find it. She had to. She could not fail. It was her responsibility. No one else could. And then she ch checks herself and she catches herself and reminds herself that, no, she said that they will all find it together. And I know that she has kind of been the leader of this mission, the, the focal point of this mission. And I wonder if that is somewhat of a hint of a flaw in her character where she almost dare sees herself the... a little bit no, no. too high. Like, I just, Sir. I thought it was Sir. interesting. <laughs> I will not stand idly by as you besmirch her, her perfect character in such a manner. No. Forgive me. No, I, I mean, we don't get a whole lot of... of, of in, internal dialogue about what really happened you know she finds it she sees it with she had it without a doubt and it was that it was dash gone she's lost it everything wavered and almost faded she'd lost the anomaly and couldn't find it again not within the chaos of everything else moving around the system so i to me this is like when you play when you're playing music on stage and you're looking around at, at the people listening to you and something catches your eye somebody who's not engaging with the music 
it can really have an impact on the people playing. And you're like, the heck is your problem? And suddenly you're not paying attention to what you're playing anymore. You're thinking about what this person is experiencing. So uh, a flaw in her character, I can't say no, but I think it may not necessarily be as nefarious as that. Um, for she is perfect in all that she does <laughs> and everything she says. Apparently. So I don't, yeah, I mean, you can't fault a winning strategy. Right. <laughs> but I, I, I do, rec- you know, I'll recognize and accept uh, your solution to that where she has to realize it's a group project and that she cannot do these things alone and she must have help in finding the thing. So if nothing else, it's demonstrative of her character to know where her limitations are to say, I am not all the Jedi myself. We are all the Jedi. So it's a, a group effort in order to do this this monumental task. And, and if she was able to do it by herself, I'm sure she would. She'd go all Captain Bright on them and send the pill droid home. And all those Jedi could go home and enjoy a nice lunch at home. But she says, we can't do it that way. We have to do this team effort. We have to put the work in. And it's and it. I think she recognizes that it's going to be hard to the point where some will not survive it. So like you said, she asks for volunteers. And when the whole army steps forward, she knows she's got the crew that she's going to need in order to do it. And then she has to continually expand that influence further and further out, which is a really neat concept that she has to go out and find those recruits. And, and they, they mentioned Master Yoda, I think, at one point to say, hey, we really could use, you know, everybody off the bench, which is kind of neat. I was trying to see if I could find the exact line, but it's in there somewhere, I'm sure. But it's just it's just a, oh, an amazing picture of kind of this is what the ideal Jedi should be like to me, to my understanding. I know everybody thinks, you know, people think Qui-Gon is the ideal or Ahsoka is the ideal Jedi or whatever. That's fine. You can all have your, your pinnacles. This is it for me. Yeah. I mean, hence she the has, sainthood. Yeah. <laughs> hence the sainthood. <laughs> she hasn't made many wrong steps uh, is and which has been impressive i think and i was glad that she did catch herself in that moment to remind herself like no we are doing this together and that reminds me of a through line in this chapter literally on the page with what charles is writing where constantly throughout the chapter whether it's you know uh, between paragraphs the end of sentences in these italics what chris is thinking to herself we will move it just over like it's kind of like a steady drum beat you know to speak in her language this this the music kind of that's that's the refrain that they're repeating over and over we will move it between these paragraphs and that you know I'm getting kind of getting some chills right now thinking about that I really liked what Charles was doing there just kind of that steady repeat that steady refrain and I thought it was very dramatic to uh, you know the the moment before they do the thing and they actually are able to successfully push the anomaly, you know, out of the path of the sun, you know, off somewhere else in space to hit another sun. Hopefully not. But <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that for a minute, because it's not like at a certain point the thing slows down, right? It's going like, to keep going. <laughs> it's going to hit something eventually. And we're just kind of hoping it hits a star that has no inhabited planets or it's just going to. What happens on page, you know, chapter seventeen and a half? Right, like, <laughs> like, is there an interstitial about this this Tabana gas bomb? Like, I want to know what happened to it. Space? Like, what if, like, what if we get something like in sequel era timeline where, and the, these guys looked outside, and there's this, this pod that floats right by real fast, and like we have to put this together. I don't know. <laughs> Somewhere out there, until we know otherwise, I think there's the answer the is. 
like there's this this constant threat of this you know nuclear missile <laughs> just kind of hanging yeah, out right? in space that is the new movie that's terrifying <laughs> the tabana canister strikes back or as they describe it it's it's literally the size of a uh, i think like a decent sized starship so it's pretty massive. It's going to hit something. It's going to hit Otherwise, it's going to keep right? going. But, you yeah. know, I guess they're not going to worry about it anymore, you know, <laughs> as long as it didn't hit the sun. Kick um, those problems down the line, guys. Really yeah, right? smart thinking. Yeah. Someone else can worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was some powerful stuff. Um, yeah, it's great. I love that. And like you said, when she constantly reminds, we will move it, we will move it. She's talking not just to herself, but to the gang, to everybody kind of locked in that meditation to say, like, and I think it's to to help them focus as well. Like you, like we said before, if she lost focus and lost sight of where the thing was and could no longer direct everybody to say, focus your energies here, they too will suffer the same kind of you know loss of faith when something happens to them. There's a Jedi who plummets off like the side of a cliff, um, and but she must continue to persevere and to push the rest of the team to say, we, we will do this. We don't have a choice. This is a thing that will happen and we're going to do it. And, and I love that just at the end of it, you know, there's the brief moment where they change the trajectory and she hears through the force where the song stops for a minute to think and then it explodes back into life. Her confirmation that she saved, you know, they have collectively saved the, uh, the fate of all of these citizens. And then she just takes two long breaths and then three. And then she says, thank you. And it's like, yeah, that's beautiful. Come on. Come on. Who doesn't like this part? Who's not a it fan was of so great. Chris? Oh. <laughs> so it good. was so great. So good. I mean, most of the people that I've seen talking about her, you know, not seeing any spoilers, like everyone seems to at least like her. You know, a lot of people love her, uh, you know, as as their as they as should. Their favorite. As they should, you know. As they darn well should. Yeah, it so was good. it was masterfully crafted by Charles and and uh, I, I love, you know, how you brought brought that together with how it ended with just the just the thank you after the deep breaths, you know, especially after how chaotic it was with so many Jedi dying in the process. It was kind of hard to hard to read. But the fact that they persevered, they knew that they had to, like you said, like there was no other way. Uh, it's just, it was a powerful, a very powerful chapter. Uh, you know, I, I was glad that, at, you know, as the chapter closes, you know, it, it, it is called a victory, you know, that quote, for this day, at least the light had prevailed. It was over. And, you know, and I guess... Just stop. Just stop. Just close the book. Right, yeah. Walk away. Close the book, and then it Great can be a book. happy ending. This was awesome. Can't wait for the second <laughs> book to come out in the series, because yeah, right. this one was a nail-biter. Season over. Right? But we did it. Congratulations. Batch 8, we made it. This was wait, very, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. We're getting a news bulletin. <laughs> Turns out, according to Chapter 18, it was not over. We've been lied to. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, we... We have been we've we've been lied to, yeah. Because I think just as you know, yeah, just as chapter seventeen ends with uh, it was over, chapter eighteen uh, takes on a different note. You know, <laughs> I don't have you know since it is you know only a page pretty much. I don't have a summary for chapter eighteen. We can just dive right into it. You know, I, I will say that, you know, there's not a lot that did happen, but at the same time, there kind of was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is important. This is kind of like your post-credit sequence, right? Yeah, Where a little bit. the main story is concluded and, you know, the theater, you know, 
the, you know, directed by appears and then you sit for a minute and then the credits stop moving and the lights have not come up yet in the, in the theater. So everybody's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And then we have the Nihil. We do get introduced to the Nihil after, I guess, in, in the interlude. But yeah, I mean, I guess we'll touch on 18 yeah, here. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. This, we're, we're taken to the Abdalis system, uh, which is further along the trajectory that the Legacy Run was heading on. Uh, you know, there were seven fragments that emerged, and I thought it was interesting to note, uh, you know, although six of the fragments just keep on going, you know, they don't hit anything, uh, the seventh one does, but even before that, I thought it was interesting to note where the sensor arrays and the satellites in this system, you know, they didn't pick up the fragments in time, you know, and until it was too late. Obviously, they're moving close to light speed. And quote, and even if they had, there was no Republic cruiser full of Jedi nearby to save the day, which struck yes. me because, you know, obviously not every system is as fortunate as Het- as Hetzal, but even with them being fortunate, there were still pretty unfortunate circumstances. But... I remember that earlier Avar Chris had pondered and wondered what would have happened if the Third Horizon had not been there to help Hetzal. And we see in this page, it's literally just a page, what exactly it could have looked like if there had been no Republic and no Jedi to do anything. And, you know, as it happens in, you know, when the seventh fragment has this glancing blow off of the most densely populated planet in this Abdalis system, 20 million, 20 million people were killed in the blink of an eye. And and, and this... Come on, Charles! <laughs> this like, oh, it's just, this it is what has been set so up. Bad. Like, oh. These are the questions we've been set up to ask and have answered. And so now we see what's happening. It's like we, we talked about earlier the in the patriotism part of chapter 16 what about those who don't believe and we talk about you know how great it is that the jedi were there what happens if they're not well we get it and it, it, it is very in that clinical sense like there was no help and 20 million people died because of it like there's a reality check that it hits you with to say the jedi are great the jedi are minimal like they are not your standard first line of defense all across the platform they are the exception to the rule. One of the things we looked at at Clashing Sabers was where does the Jedi Order fit into the governmental structure of the, the old Republic at the time? This was years ago. And essentially, we have to think of the Jedi Order as the FBI. So they're not your local police. They're not your first responders. They're, they're after the fact. They're, they're investigators and enforcers, but they're not the guys who are going to come when you have to call 911. And we see kind of the cost of that. And we, you know, it's a question of a number of different things. Is it lack of support from the, the Republic itself? Is it um, insufficient resources that the Jedi have that they cannot be everywhere? Uh, did Abdallah reject having a Jedi presence? We're not given a lot of answers to this, but we understand that there is a deficit. There is a continuing problem, and it's the you know chapter eighteen ends with that line. This was the first emergence, and what should that sentence tell us? There are plenty more to come. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I have to say emergence with a capital E as well. Capital so. <laughs> E, capitalized things should draw our attention, according to like our sixth grade English teachers. So I don't know about you, but I'd be buckling up. Yeah, it's uh, I I was wondering, you know, because 
like you said, that's how it ends. You know, this was the first Emergence capital E. And I guess after reading that, I was like, okay, but of, of what? And, uh, you know, as the interlude begins, I guess uh, where the kind of the countdown had been in the previous chapters, kind of the subtext to this interlude is just two words, denial. And I just full disclosure, I know from the marketing of the higher public that these are some of the bad guys. Like this is one of the main groups of the bad guys. I don't know in what capacity. I don't know much about them. I just know that this is the name of kind of some of the opposition that the Jedi will come up against. So I wonder if this was the first emergence of the Nihil in kind of the in the scope of the galaxy now, or if this is the first emergence of this kind of discontent of like, okay, where was the Republic when we needed them most? A lot of a lot of questions, but you're thinking at thirty thousand foot level. Yeah. <laughs> and the answer is like at twenty feet level. It's like <laughs> yeah. oh, Okay. Overthinking everything. <laughs> Supremely. And I, I love it. I, I appreciate it very much. I, I don't think I should even tell you the answer to that. Oh, please though... don't. No, no, no. Okay. Don't, don't, <sighs> don't even. Don't even. I'm going to leave meets by very I wrong I don't guesses. like this feeling <laughs> at all of being like, I could help him. You think I like has... it? <laughs> In fairness, you set this paradigm up for yourself. Anyway, this is true. I've done point. this myself. <laughs> so yeah, 18 short, sweet, bad things still happening. Don't be around traveling space bombs it's just a generally yeah just a word of advice (laughs) it's it's not great we do get introduced to this new group this uh the denial in this abdallah system because there's this you know we've learned that convoys of freighters escaping a system does not typically end well i think it was chapter like one of the earlier chapters where it was like the four of the four freighters escaping hetzel just got skewered and obliterated like that and then here six freighters i came into this like okay th- there's no way they're escaping like there's just no. not and no. you know as it turns you have out been trained i'm proud of yes, you <laughs> i've been trained I- i've learned now i don't like it but i've learned uh, <laughs> it was just um you know, I guess to get right to it, when they were kind of towards the outer edge of the Abdallah system, they get faced by this kind of storm. And, you know, I'm wondering, you know, what what is this? Like, a lot of the times I've written in my notes, like, what is happening right now? And it was just, it was a lot that was going on. But I guess it's introduced here before kind of shit hits the fan. You know, the freighters are trying to scan this cloud to see what it is, but it says, you know, that they were unsuccessful, quote, better safe than sorry, but there was no safety, not anymore. I'm thinking just because, of course, because, of course, at this point, I'm just not surprised. Like, of course, something yeah, the book is telling you, it's literally <laughs> telling you, don't think happy things happen to these people. Like it's it's there in the text. It says there's literally no safety. Stop thinking they're going to make it out alive. So bad. Yeah, it's I guess I'll just kind of describe this and what's going on because i i'm still i'm still confused at what exactly they are seeing so they're okay as the storm cloud kind of lights up and there's this massive like bolt of jagged energy that shoots from the middle of it it strikes one of the ships and disables yeah, it i'm forgot thinking about that part yeah it was just it. very <laughs> there's a lot of like jagged imagery um you know and i was thinking okay like it's some kind of ion blast you know the the ship is disabled and as more flashes are happening, as they're striking out, as this cloud, you know, these, these blasts of energy are striking out at the other freighters, 
the cloud is lit up and the crew members they see what's in the middle of this cloud and it's mm-hmm. this this massive swarm of kind of small you know almost like buzzard like ships you know they have like uh, random spikes on them they're very blocky in nature like no uniformity and there's this bigger kind of uh, i guess warship in the middle of it and I guess I'll kind of describe this, um, the symbol that they all have on them, you know, it's the three bright slashes down the sides of these ships. And then there's this kind of like half moon symbol filled with green fire attached to each of their <laughs> engines. I just have it in my notes, like w- what the heck is happening anymore? Just, I, it's just so, it's so much right now and I'm not ready. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's, it's definitely strategically designed to put you on edge in order to be like, I don't under, I understand the words that you were using and I recognize that they all have definitions that I know, but I cannot string them together in a cohesive thought to, and put it into picture. And that's on purpose. I mean, that's exactly what, because he's putting you, your know, soul is putting you in, in the place of the captain who, again, again, don't be a captain in Star Wars. It's just not safe. Like you've got to, like your life expectancy goes down. Um, dramatically. So he's putting you in the position of these characters to say, we don't understand what it is. All we know is it looks like this cloud and there's these lightning bolts that come out. And like you said, the half moon filled with green energy. Um, If it helps, you kind of want to picture a Mad Max mentality. Like, you know, if you're familiar with Mad Max Fury Road, but kind of that level of, of, of chaos and disorganization and being like, you know, spaceships with, you know, guys playing electric guitar and fire shooting out of them. That's the kind of the vibe you want to pick up from this particular chapter. I, it, sometimes it helps to have a better understanding of what you're looking at. Um, and they will get more clear as time goes on. So you'll you'll only be left with this feeling for about, mm, I don't know, two months or so. Yeah, <laughs> the right. way you're going. You'll be <laughs> no <all big> deal. <laughs> nah, no big deal. You'll be all right. Yeah. And we, we do find out from this captain's perspective that... You know, he he knows that from their symbols that they are the Nihil, so clearly that this is a known group to some extent of, quote, raiders, kidnappers, thieves, etc., and that no one has apparently survived trying to fight them off. So we know that they're formidable. I mean, uh, like somebody know. had to survive because <laughs> to tell the story, story, right? <laughs> exactly. This is very Pirates of the Caribbean. It's like if nobody survives, how, where do the stories come from, guys? good point (laughs) this captain forgot it was just very horrific uh the the smaller ships kind of shot these harpoons out at the disabled freighter and then literally pulled it apart and this captain (laughs) gorello i was just like i i what did i write in my notes i just like all caps like just just what like it was just it was terrible and because i think this captain had told because the the freighters are full of workers and employees from his corporation and he told them like bring all of your families we can get you to safety and he's watching along as you know all of them inside are just like you know released to the vacuum of space and you know it doesn't end well for him and i guess as this interlude ends where even before you know they get boarded and even before they can mount any kind of defense you know the the bridge doors are blown open and poison gas is thrown in and they all die and having just, a bad day is what bad oh. day it's 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 the rough. Nihil, but, welcome <laughs> welcome to it welcome to the jungle but it, it's interesting at the very towards the beginning of the interlude it talks about the ab abdalisian business owners um, who had scoffed at the main captain who said what are you doing 
Like, why, why are you bothering to go through this effort? Again, ties back to what we were talking about before about the, the, um, the realists in the galaxy. These are not ideologues. But our, our hero in this particular chapter is, and he pays the ultimate price for it. Not only does he himself, he, he loses his own life, but he has to watch those upon um, which he had places a burden of responsibility you know, on himself to take care of. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get you guys to safety. Come with me. You know, I, you guys are important to me and I need you in order to, you know, have this company, blah, 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 whatever. And then they die <laughs> like right in front of him. So altruism doesn't get you very far in Star Wars, evidently. So just, you know, unless you're Avar Chris and then you're perfect and then it's OK. So you might be one of you might be one of the Jedi who fall off a cliff at her expense, but she's going to save the day. And really, that's that's all I care about. So I'm happy with that. Captain Gorello thought he was the main character, but in the you know ultimately he was not. So. Don't ever try to be the main character. It's like the the captain of the Legacy Run in Chapter One, how you spend like this whole time getting to know her, and she's you know she's walking through her ship, checking to make sure, hey, are you guys happy? Are you guys good? You, you need anything to eat? The kids are watching a movie or something strange like that, and then it's like, oh, they all die a horrible, terrible, painful death. Got it. Okay, note to self: don't be the hero. <laughs> Don't be a named character with a backstory. It will not go well. Not safe. No one is safe, <laughs> as I've learned. <laughs> ah, it's fantastic. Uh, it was, yeah. So I guess we are introduced to perhaps the the main group of opposition in this book. Uh, you know, as as part one ends, we're introduced to the Nile and their destructive capabilities. But yeah, this is... Not not once, and I think I'd mentioned this, you know, off air. Not once in this part, in this first part, has there been a break at all. You know, it's it's just been fast paced, just nonstop. Uh, you know, kind of living true to the name of the great disaster. You know, I wouldn't have expected there to be like, oh, you know, just have a brief respite for, you know, afternoon tea. Like, no, it was none of that. It was just go go go. But as this first part is brought to an end. You know, we do have, on one hand, the victory, quote-unquote, in the Hetzel system, and then we're also introduced, on the other hand, to this new threat, also with the destruction in the Abdallah system. 20 million people, again, it's like we thought hundreds and thousands in Hetzel was bad, 20 million is even worse, but taking those two pieces, the victory, on one hand, with Avar, with the Jedi, but then also this greater threat that is now introduced— how are you feeling as part one draws to an end? Oh, I feel good, you know? I think things are go are looking up from here on out. No. Really, we should be asking you because <laughs> um you gotten through the first I think it's third? Is this three parts? I can't remember. Yeah, three parts. If this is three parts or just or four. It would make sense to be three. So you've kind of at this point. This is the the totality of the higher public content that you have consumed has been just this information around the great disaster. You know, you've met some of the main pe- players and whatnot. And so really the question I have for you is like, let, let's reflect on what you what have you learned beyond the fact that you shouldn't be a, a, a named character or named character rather. But what do you think it happens next? Where does the story go from here? We're going to put some uh, some markers in the in the sand and see what happens. Yeah, this is this is where I can try to try to think forward. You know, obviously, number one, never trust Charles Soul. Uh, you know, <laughs> <Lies>. <laughs> that is the Lies. biggest the biggest lesson. You know, now with the Nile being introduced, I wonder because I guess 
the expansion of the Republic into the Outer Rim will continue if the whole galaxy, because as it happened, Kevin Tarr from Hetzel Prime had kind of broadcast the whole thing, this whole spiel of diverting the object uh, to the galaxy. So literally everyone was watching it as if it was Super Bowl Sunday. And I wonder if that will, you know, kind of open some Outer Rim world arms to the Republic. Okay, like this is what they can do for us. This is how they can help us, you know, okay, yes, there was a lot of loss of life, but it could have been much worse. So I wonder if that will, if what happened on Hetzal will influence for the better, perhaps, the expansion of the Jedi and the Republic into the Outer Rim. I do kind of swing back to the note where there were people who wanted the Jedi to fail. And so I wonder if there will also be seeds of discontent where, you know, with systems who were less fortunate, uh, you know, with Abdallah and all that, if there will be some greater opposition rising to the Jedi, I, I, oh, I'm still wondering. I'm still wondering because the Golden Age of the Jedi, you know, has to. Uh, we're only a third of the book in, but eventually it's going to fall. I wonder when it's going to start, but I do wonder still at what the role of the Nia will be if they'll just kind of be this evil presence that the Jedi will run into and and face head on, you know, as they explore further, because Abdalis is further into the Outer Rim. I just wonder still about what that interaction will look like, or if, I guess the motives of the Nile are still unclear to me. They're only described as raiders, thieves, you know, mm-hmm. it, right, it, right, it doesn't, right. you know, there's not a lot that we've been given so far, so I'm still a little bit unclear as to as to what they want. Uh, so yeah, I don't know if I can really say much to that just as as they're introduced, but I, I yeah, I don't know what that clash will look like, but I think that things will not be easy as they as the Jedi move further into the outer <laughs> rim because <I, laughs> you, you don't think <laughs> the last two speaking, thirds of but... this book are gonna sail through? They're just gonna be what? like oh, I can, can hope. <laughs> sure, yeah, sure. That went really good for you in the first third here. Um, who is your favorite Jedi character so far? Favorite Jedi character, I I have been impressed with Avar Chris. I just think I've been drawn to Loden Greatstorm. Uh, <laughs> okay, just with how cool he is. I guess <laughs> if I'm just being kind of vain uh, like that, but <laughs> that's all right. He can't. You know. I mean, there's there's not a lot to to dislike really about Avar Chris. So you know, she has been very impressive. I think that I've just really like enjoyed reading how Loden interacts with the conflicts that he was faced with, uh, okay. just the confidence that's oozing off of him and all that. I love his <laughs> relationship with <laughs> Bell Zedifar as well. So I think they're fun. So I think that duo. See, no one else got to see the uh, the, the eye roll that I got to see uh, when you're like, <laughs> his confidence. You're like, mm. It's like, all right, I don't know what that's code for, but uh, okay, right. cool, I think. <laughs> I do also wonder about you know and and i thought about this in really the beginning chapters about and i think my my guest alberto had brought it up of how to the republic moving into the outer rim they perceive it as uncharted you know uncharted territories not very like inhabited maybe like backwards in some in some ways and i kind of drew that parallel to you know the westward expansion of the americans and how mm-hmm. you know kind of this uncharted territory but there are actually people there who will be displaced right. <laughs> with that expansion so i wonder about how that will manifest with the republic moving into the outer rim and what kind of conflicts those that will create so i think that will be 
that's something that I've I've kept a leaf in my book for uh, for how that will manifest because I don't think it's going to end well. You know, it's I, I don't know. It just it can't from from what our history has taught us. It can't end. Well. I was about so I to say yeah. Well, here. American history has never had a problem with that before, has it? So that's deep sarcasm, by the way. Um, my my last question is for you um, that I can think of immediately is how much do you know about Starlight Beacon? Uh, besides the fact <laughs> that that you think it's some kind of Death Star equivalent about stations that can change the course of galaxy, I don't know which one of you thought of that. It's clever. Oh, that was me. That was me. Galaxy changing space station. You could say the same thing about the Death Star. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. I'll give you that. But yeah, that's something. It's just been name dropped, and I know that in this in chapter 17 as well, there was mention of a council member who would to step down from their role to take a position on the Starlight Beacon. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's just going to kind of be this grandiose symbol of the Republic that is kind of, uh, if it's providing aid or if it's kind of like this political center as they kind of move, kind of the presence, a physical presence of the Republic in a more diplomatic, political way. It's just been name dropped. I they they speak of it in kind of in such great terms. They have really high hopes for it. I do, I don't know what its capacity could be. I I'm assuming if I'm being real that it's going to be peaceful. Uh, you know, not yeah, like a big a, lasers. A, that's what that's what yeah. it is. Yeah, I I don't know if it's just going to kind of be this beautiful physical embodiment of the Republic moving through the outer rim as they expand. I would guess some kind of like political center for the Republic to kind of have a hold you know, and, and a, a, a symbol of what they can stand for into the outer rim. So that's my thought. All right. All right. Well, you, you heard it here first. So we'll we'll write all of those down in a couple months. We'll email those lists back to you and you can kind of c- contrast and compare and see where you can see how on. wrong I am. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, it's no big deal. It's all about saving the information and preserving it for future generations. There we go. History. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. It's definitely not to make fun of you on Twitter in a couple months. That's totally not why we're doing it. Just the the fuel. I mean, I set myself up for being roasted for my wrong takes. You know, as I was moving into this season. No, so, I you wouldn't know. say wrong takes. I would just say you know that that sweet naivete. It's like it's so adorable. Yes. It's it's like watching somebody <laughs> read Harry Potter for the first time. And be like, guys, did you know what happens? It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've been through this before. We're here for you at the end. Don't worry. <laughs> But Drew, you know, we've talked about a lot here today, closing out part one. Thanks so much for for being a part of this, you know, for uh, it didn't have a happy ending that I had hoped for naively. Now, come on, it literally says this was a victory. How dare you, sir? How dare you decide that 20 million people dying is is not a happy ending? No, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been a blast. Um, I've been looking forward to this uh, for a a while and trying to get prepared and and not sound like a complete moron while we're doing this. forced me to go back and reread this book for the second time now it's been a lot of fun i mean it's it seems like a great one to revisit you know it's captivating it's captivating it's good writing it might not you know be happy but it's still good so (laughs) if all books were happy that'd be terrible things to read exactly you know i gotta keep it interesting and charles is definitely keeping us on our toes here but uh if the listeners wanted to hear more of your voice and more about what you do, could you tell them where they could find you on the interwebs? Sure. Um, I'm on Twitter at the Drew Brett. That's the easiest place to find me. Um, follow our group over at Clashing Sabers. That's the best place to kind of find when new articles are posted to the website or new episodes of the podcast drop. Um, 
If you're up for helping some kids get some books, a dollar a month donation through Patreon, sign up for that. 12 bucks a month, or I'm sorry, 12 bucks a year rather, gets four books out there into the world. And if you can afford, I mean, if you're like me and you can afford to buy a copy of Light of the Jedi the day it comes out, you can afford to send some used books to kids across the country. But let's say you're a teacher or you know a teacher or you work with kids, go to clashingsabers.net. You can nominate a person to receive those books. All we need is their name, what grade they teach or whatever, and their location and why you want us to send them send them some books. And they'll get a box of all kinds of stuff. All grade levels are eligible. Elementary school kids up through high. We've done special ed classrooms before. Um, we've done special needs classrooms before. So everybody has the opportunity to get something in the mail. And if there's been a, a school year where kids need something fun and exciting to do in the classroom, this is it. So, you know, sign up uh, patreon.com slash clashing sabers. And again, everything's tax deductible. 100% of what you give through Patreon or through our fundraisers in the in the wintertime goes straight to buying books. We pay for the shipping. We pay for the upkeep. There's, no, you know, all your money is just books to kids. So if you're a fan of books, you're in the right spot. If you want to help somebody else find these books, we could use your help over at Clashing Sabers. So come on down and join the fun. Uh, when you sign up for the Patreon, you'll also get access to the bonus episodes, the commentaries we've recorded with the movies. Um, Lindsay and I did um, episode nine. The The name of the movie is, of course, uh, The Rise of Skywalker. And we had a blast doing it. You know, We've got one for all the movies out there. So you can find your movie. Put on the commentary and enjoy us all at the same time um, laughing and being ridiculous alongside of you. So come join the fun. Thank you again, uh, Andrew, for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's been an honor. It's been a blast. Hopefully we can do this again if you pick another good book in the future. Yeah, thank you so much, man. Listeners, I will post the links to Drew and his work in Clashing Sabres in the episode description. Thanks so much again, man. This was a blast and a half. <laughs> Absolutely. Before we hit the credits, be sure to tune in to our Instagram on Thursday, November 18th at 6 p.m. Eastern for our Search Your Readings Live. See you all there. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to follow Outer Rim Reads on social media to stay connected to the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Outer Rim Read Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at Outer Rim Reads Pod. Outer Rim Reads is created by Andrew Gayhot, is hosted by Andrew Gayhot, is edited by Connor Floyd, and is produced by Andrew Gayhot as well as Simon Van Bakum. We will be back in two weeks with episode 47. So until then, sit back and enjoy. At least the great disaster is over, right? So things are going to get better, right? Ah, we'll see. <laughs>